0: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey now, let's start off with a tiger update because obviously there's global interest in what happened to Tiger Woods and how he can recover. And we have our first hint now uh, from London Sun. Yes, it's a British tabloid, but sometimes they do the best reporting on these sort of on-the-ground celebrity stories about why this might have happened. because the more I think about it, you know, let's assume that Tiger Woods wasn't on any painkillers or or drugs. It's the middle of the day. It's broad daylight. Uh, There's no other car involved. It's not raining. It's not snowing. And his car uh, smashes the medium, crosses over uh, to the opposing lanes, and then flips over several times. And, you know, as everybody who looked at that car can recognize, he's lucky he was able to be extricated from that car. He's lucky he's still alive. So before... He was in that car and got in that horrible accident, Uh, according to The Sun. He was at a resort, and he was said that he was running late for a meeting with two NFL stars who he was going to give a lesson to or something like that. So now already we know he's in a rush. But it's worse than that. Um, A member of the production crew of a show that was being filmed at this resort said, uh, we've heard Tiger was pissed off that we were here at the resort. Apparently, he didn't know there was going to be a major show being made here this week. The show is called Grownish. Oh. Uh And that so annoyed him and contributed him to being angry when he left. Now, uh, TMZ reported, quoting on the record, a member of the crew, Oliver Conte, saying a little bit after 6.40 a.m., our director has come in and he was like, you know what? I almost got in an accident with effing Tiger Woods. He almost hit me. Uh, one source said that Woods got in this car to get away, but he had to wait because another car was blocking him uh, while it was unloading, while the occupant was unloading luggage. Once the car moved, Woods took off fast. Okay, so he's running late. He's driving fast. He almost hits uh, a director's car that's in the hotel area. Um and here's here's this source saying telling the sun he really did nearly hit the director's car too when he left this morning which shook us up because of Tiger crashing his car before alluding to that accident that Tiger Woods had uh you know m- many years ago when he was also injured so um it's just a couple of pieces of the puzzle and look I've said this yesterday I'm a tiger fan I wish him well. I hope he has a speedy recovery. I'm sorry to see this happen to anybody. But it's impossible to look at the set of circumstances and not conclude for whatever set of reasons that Tiger Woods was driving recklessly. There is simply no other credible explanation. Now, how recklessly and what exactly happened and how fast he was going uh, all remains to be seen. Uh, New York Times is reporting on the long surgery that he had Uh, Quotes, one doctor is saying that such lower leg fractures uh, could on occasion bring massive disability and other grave consequences. A rough estimate, uh, says this doctor, is that there's a 70% chance of it healing completely. But there's also a chance that he might even have trouble walking normally, let alone be able to return to the professional golf circuit. So just a heartrending situation. Again, I have a lot of sympathy for Tiger and his family, but... This may have been uh, um, something that he did to himself. Uh, There's no other way to put it. This is a real generational question, this next item. Have you heard of Fannie Fox? Because if you're a certain age, if you were following uh, the news back in 1974, uh, I was uh, not in Washington at the time, but I I knew what was going on. I was uh, a graduate student, actually. In 1974, there was a woman named Fanny Fox. She was a stripper. Uh, Her stripping name was the Argentine Firecracker. And the reason I'm telling you all this is that now at the age of, I don't know, 80-something, Fanny Fox, the Argentine Firecracker, has passed away. And the reason she has this small footnote of history is that she being rather uh, drunk, I guess would be the technical term, uh, ended up staggering into the Washington Tidal Basin. It's a little area of water near the Jefferson Memorial. And she was out with a guy who was a very powerful congressman at the time named Wilbur Mills. He was uh, the chairman of some really important committee. And the Washington Post... uh, obituary really just captures it. This is what passed for a big sex scandal in 1974 at a time when many um, news organizations looked the other way, when congressmen were drunk, when congressmen were fooling around with AIDS and all of that. So the Washington Post begins at about 2 a.m. on that day in 1974, U.S. Park Police pulled over a silver-blue Lincoln Continental that had been swerving and speeding without headlights near the Jefferson Memorial. A female passenger in an evening gown, ran from the car, climbed on the stone parapet along the Tidal Basin, and, acting on what she later described as a frantic impulse, leaped headfirst into the frigid, inky water. Her splashdown would ripple in, into one of the capital's most infamous sex scandals. Her real name was Annabelle Battistella. She was a striptease dancer with the stage name Fanny Fox. Um, and she used to wear the uh, tropical-colored ostrich and pheasant feathers when she performed, and after a boozy party at the Silver Slipper Club where she performed, she got into a loud quarrel with her married lover, the aforementioned Congressman Wilbur Mills. And this was a huge scandal for Mills. I I think he ended up getting re-elected. He was 65 at the time. She was 38. Uh, He was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. He was a man esteemed as a pillar of Bible Belt rectitude and respectability, but it turned out not so much. All right, little blast in the past there. Um, I've said before, uh, as more people have got arrested in the, uh, you know, much more serious. Isn't that a great segue? Horrible, um, deadly riot at the Capitol this past January six. That some of them were really dumb because they would post video of themselves or otherwise, you know, tout their exploits on social media, and that led police to their doorstep. So here's a new example. A guy named Richard Machetti uh, who was part of that mob that invaded the Capitol. Uh, he was on the steps of the Capitol uh, taking a break from his writing to argue with his ex-girlfriend over text. He sent her photos and videos of the mob and boasting how he had avoided tear gas. And then he said, you know, Donald Trump really won the election. It was a fraud. And if you can't see the election was stolen, you're a moron. He wrote to his ex-girlfriend, who the next day told the FBI that he had been at the Capitol. He ends up getting arrested. What, uh, speaking of morons, what a moronic move. Um, after Trump had called for rioters finally to go home, Machete, who sent the women two videos, uh, said, this is tyranny. They told us uh, we rigged the election. There's nothing you can do about it. What do you think should be done? Okay, maybe she wasn't the person you should be sharing this with and calling her names. Just, just my observation. You might have a different view of it. All right. Uh, and as long as we're into, uh, as in the earlier item, uh, questions about drunk driving... We finally have the disposition of the case involving Bruce Springsteen. Now, I talked about this before, like, what was going on? Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey, the Bruce, the boss, Bruce in the home state of Jersey, was arrested, and he was charged with drunk driving, but then it turned out he only had like a .2 on the breathalyzer test, which isn't even close to being considered legally drunk. So he had this hearing, the actual incident occurred back in November. And uh officer observed him drinking alcohol in the Gateway National Recreation Area. Um, he got arrested. Uh, remember, he did that Super Bowl ad for Jeep, and then they took that down. So, prosecutors had to admit in a court appearance yesterday that his blood alcohol level did not warrant the charge of drunk driving. It just didn't. Springsteen told the court he had consumed two small shots of tequila. The magistrate ordered bruce springsteen to pay a fine of 540 dollars because talk about lesser charge he was consuming his two shots of tequila in this national park area where you're not supposed to drink liquor i mean it was just an effort to save face i think springsteen can probably afford the 500 bucks um he told the officer that he had taken these two shots uh, the officer said he smelt strongly of alcohol and had glassy eyes, but he wasn't even close to the legal limit. So Bruce uh, finally no longer has to be referred to as a drunk driver. Uh, hey, one other thing. I, um, in yesterday's podcast and in a column, uh, I talked a lot about um, COVID and how many conservatives were angry at Dr. Fauci, at President Biden, Uh, Because they say, look, we finally got some good news. We now have a third vaccine that's on the verge of being approved, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. More people getting vaccinated. Um, The the number of deaths is down. The number of hospitalizations is down. The number of new cases is down. And we got to start talking seriously about lifting some of these restrictions. Yesterday, 3,200 people died in America from coronavirus. So that's almost up to the level of the 4,000 plus a day that, that were dying in the peak of that January surge. And maybe it's an aberration, maybe include includes some past days, I don't know. But I just point out, this thing isn't over. And while I greatly sympathize with the people who've lost their jobs, with the small businesses, with the kids whose schools remain shut down except for virtual learning, you know, it's not over. People are still dying. And I just, that number jumped off the newspaper page to me. And so I just wanted to mention that. Now let's turn to um, the Biden administration and the confirmation process should become a bit of a mess. So the Washington Post has this big lead story saying, the Biden administration has fewer top government leaders in place than any other recent presidents at this point in their terms. And that's been slowed up. Obviously, first we had the, you know, he didn't even get to uh, start his transition officially uh, until about six weeks after the election. Then we had the impeachment trial, which consumed Washington, consumed the Senate, which has to uh, confirm his nominees. Then there was COVID-19. And then a series of snowstorms. But, according to the Washington Post, activists who pushed Biden to nominate a diverse cabinet are pointing out another phenomenon. Many of the president's Black, Latino, Asian, and Native American nominees are encountering more political turbulence than their white counterparts. And so, obviously, advocates uh, for more minorities in government are crying foul. Now, the case that's gotten the most attention by far is that of Neera Tanden. She's the first Indian American to be nominated to head the Office of Management and Budget. Her, um, The vote on her nomination has just been postponed. Why? Because the Democrats don't have the votes. Because Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia says he's going to vote against her. And some of the what you might think would be the swing votes on the Republican side, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, are also going to vote against her. So the Democrats don't find one Republican. And they're still pushing hard. Ron Klein was on MSNBC last night saying we still think we can get her confirmed. I think she's probably toast, but I don't know. And nevertheless, she'll get another White House job. Klain said this uh, in that interview. But there's a line of criticism in which, remember, the whole thing is about her tweets. Uh, a thousand tweets she has to delete. She insulted all these people. She insulted Bernie Sanders. She insulted Lisa Murkowski, who's one of the few remaining Republicans who hasn't said whether she'd vote against her. Um, there's a line of criticism that women's groups say is unfair because it focuses on her tone rather than her qualifications or her policies. Activists say the concerns raised over tenant are part of a broader pattern of imperiling many of Biden, Biden's nominees of color. Well, a spokesman for Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, said Democratic senators have voted against female nominees and appointees of color made by Republican presidents. Um, 41 Democrats voted against Housing Secretary Ben Carson. Six Democrats voted against Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, who's Asian American. Um, And the guy who works for McConnell says that Republicans um, point out uh, that Biden's, uh, two of Biden's black nominees, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and U.N. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, had support from both sides of the aisle. And then Alejandro Mayorkas, who's Latino, was confirmed as Homeland Security Secretary. So it's not down the line. Uh, nevertheless, obviously, if you're an activist, you're going to try to use this. Also, questions were raised, including by Manchin, who now says he will vote for Congresswoman Deb Holland, um, first Native American to be nominated to head the Interior Department. Republicans are calling her a radical. So, there's some other sub cabinet nominees, people you've never heard of, who are also getting a lot of flack. For example, the woman who's been named as Biden's pick for associate attorney general, she's an Indian American. She's the target of a multi million dollar ad campaign from conservative groups who are calling her dangerous. Uh, the Heritage Foundation, uh, or its PAC, is focusing on California Attorney General uh, Javier Becerra, questioning his qualifications to be uh, HHS secretary because he's not a doctor, which, of course, prompts everybody to say you don't have to be a doctor to run HHS. Uh, Trump had nominees who uh, had secretaries who served who were not doctors. One was, one wasn't. Uh, Barack Obama's HHS secretary um, was uh, Kathleen Sebelius. She wasn't a doctor. She was the governor of Kansas. So, you know, you use what you can when you're trying to knock them out. But now this whole issue of our minority candidates getting a harder time, and whether that is because of that, or is it because Neera Tandon, you know, sent out all of these tweets? Oh, interesting, Politico has a piece about what these tweets were. Back in 2016, Neera Tanden uh, uh, said, I'm willing to concede I should tweet less. But she didn't. Uh, over the past few years, says Politico, uh, Tandon tweeted that uh, a vampire has more heart than Ted Cruz. Okay, I think she lost his vote. Uh, she compared Mitch McConnell himself to Voldemort, She called Susan Collins criminally ignorant. I mean, this is some pretty heavy stuff. She went after Bernie Sanders, suggesting in one seat that Russia helped Sanders in the 2016 election. Okay, Um, if you have any hopes of being um, in government, you don't do that. At the time, she was the president of this liberal think tank, Center for American Progress. She's a longtime aide to Hillary Clinton. And Politico said, look, this was her job at the time. She was an attack dog. She was out there, you know, ca- ca- during campaigns, during news controversies. Twitter was a natural ally in her work. Like Washington, it was a place where making all the right people mad could be an asset. Buzz, says Politico, this is an interesting piece. Twitter has a, its own way of tempting you into provocative tweets and then turning on you, especially when you make enough enemies from different points of view on the political spectrum and they find a common moment for revenge. And it's true. You get payback. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzbeater coming your way in just a moment. National Review has a piece about how President Biden isn't really being bipartisan. And not, it's not just a question of him pushing through the COVID-19 relief bill, which is $1.9 trillion. So from NR's point of view, Susan Collins, one of the more moderate Republican senators, She's one of the ten Republicans who met with Biden early on, and they pitched a six hundred billion dollar relief package that could have been a starting point for negotiations. I think they made it, made it later said that we come up to as much as uh, uh, one trillion. But you know, if you're the newly elected president of the United States, you ran on combating COVID, you come up with a bill for almost two trillion, and Republicans come in and say, you know what? We'll uh, sure we'll uh, we'll compromise with you. We got six hundred billion, so that's about one quarter of what you're proposing, no president of either party, if especially if you've got the polls on your, his side, as this bill apparently does, is even I saw a poll today, Political Morning Consult, 60% of Republicans say they back this bill. You're not going to go down to $600 billion. So I don't know if that's an example of Biden not being uh, bipartisan or not. Collins said the president was attentive, but she noticed that Ron Klain, the chief of staff, was shaking his head in the back of the room while they were having these discussions. Okay, if a head shake is an absolute insult, then then nothing will ever get done in Washington. But also National Review points out that Ohio Senator Rob Portman, um, who's retiring, is not going to run for another term, Uh, he did a uh, a piece in the Washington Post in which he said the Biden administration's partisan approach repeats the same mistakes Barack Obama made early in his presidency. It sets the wrong tone for a new administration. Then you've got Mitt Romney, who just the other day published his own op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. He called the White House package, the $1.9 trillion package, a clunker. So what National Review is arguing is if you've got the most willing people, after all, Romney voted for President Trump's conviction, people like Portman, Collins, Mitt, uh, who believe in bipartisanship and they're disappointed in the administration's unwillingness to bargain in good faith, they sound pissed off, they're angry, Um, then that suggests that maybe Biden is not being as bipartisan as he had claimed. Now, look, this is not the only bill in town that Biden will need help from these Republicans, especially if he's got a couple of Democratic defections, if he does a big infrastructure bill, if he tries to get through anything resembling his immigration bill, which, you know, uh, has a path to citizenship. It takes eight years There's certain things you have to do, but that's going to be a non-starter with, I would say, 95 percent of the Republican Party. So if they end up, if the Dems end up pushing this through uh, on the basis of reconciliation, which, you know, I can't jump up and down because every party uses it. Donald Trump used reconciliation to get his tax cuts. Barack Obama used reconciliation uh, to uh, help get Obamacare. And you can't blame Joe Biden if if the Republicans aren't going to come anywhere close to his number for saying, you know what, we'll pass this on a party-line vote. But it does sort of leave hard feelings. And one more thought about Neera Tandon and the tweets. It's a little bit rich to hear Republicans going to their fainting couches. Oh, my God, did you see the horrible stuff that Neera Tandon tweeted when they defended a president, the 45th president, who tweeted and retweeted horrible stuff, including conspiracy theories, including, personally, including people calling people morons, idiots, and whatever. But if Neera Tanden wants to play the same game, and then she needs Senate confirmation, uh, she's kind of made her own bet. All right, I want to get now to a very important story involving Andrew Cuomo. So this first surfaced back in December, when a former top aide to the Democratic governor of New York Uh, whose name is Lindsay Boylan, said without providing much in the way of detail that she had been sexually harassed by Andrew Cuomo. And the story came and went because she didn't really speak out. Well, yesterday, Lindsay Boylan posted on Medium, which is a kind of a self-blogging site. It's a good outlet for uh, serious, complicated arguments. 1,700-word piece providing details of what she says was unacceptable behavior by Governor Cuomo, who absolutely denies what she's saying, and his press secretary put out a statement. But also, you know, this is a time when Cuomo is very much on the defensive because of the nursing home scandals and the admission that New York State and his administration uh, didn't put out the actual numbers of people who died in nursing homes and they waited months. And, And so he is under fire politically, and now this comes out. So I want to be very fair in how I describe this, and then I want to talk about the media coverage. So to catch you up, and I suggest you read the piece on Medium, Lindsay Boylan, uh, she, by the way, and I'll, I'll just mention this right up front, she is running for Manhattan borough president. So this, obviously, she could have a political motive. I'm not challenging her sincerity. She could have a political motive because it's drawing a lot of attention to her. I also have to say right up front, before I even get into this, she has refused so far to talk to a single journalist. She didn't do it when she first raised this. She doesn't seem to be doing it now. Uh, New York Times and other uh, uh, pieces say she did not respond to requests for comment through text, messages, or emails. So she is not allowing her story to be tested. And I think that's significant. doesn't mean she's not telling the truth. It does mean we're getting one side, her side. And she's not sitting down with anybody who could say, what about this, and governor says this, and you know, the normal journalistic cross-examination that somebody making these kinds of serious charges against a sitting governor would be exposed to. Now, that could change. She could do an interview tomorrow. She could do 10 interviews tomorrow, but right now she doesn't seem inclined to do that. Okay, so the the key thing here is, I'll, I'll just sort of lay it out as she does. She says that while she was in age, she's on a trip with Cuomo and other state officials, they're on the government airplane, and uh, she says that Cuomo said, "Hey, let's play strip poker." And neither didn't, obviously. But I didn't. I never thought, since I got out of junior high school, that I'd be talking about strip poker. Not that I played a lot of strip poker. Uh, email from another top aide to the governor suggesting the governor thought she was a quote better-looking sister of another woman. Who Cuomo? This implication is he kind of liked her looks. So she didn't like that. Lindsay Boylan did not like that. She worked for the State Economic Development Agency at the time. She published that email from December 2016 as an example. Now, the woman who sent the email, I think has since come out, was interviewed by some news organizations saying, Cuomo didn't say this. She was saying this as kind of banter. But anyway, she, Lindsay Boylan, found this degrading. Um, so let's get to the governor's press secretary who says, Ms. Boylan's claims of inappropriate behavior are Quite simply, false. Now, um, it was a a series of tweets back in December when Lindsey Boone first said that Governor Andrew Cuomo harassed me. But now, here are more details. She says that there was an incident in 2018 when she and Cuomo were alone in his Manhattan office. The governor works in Albany, but every New York governor has an office in midtown Manhattan. As I got up to leave and walked to an open door, he stepped in front of me and kissed me on the lips. I was in shock, but I kept walking. And that's the most serious charge in here. It's the only physical. I mean, she says, yeah, he touched her her arms and her legs, but the only this kiss, this unwanted kiss, that's pretty serious business, according to Lindsay Boylan. She says that in the early days of her working for the Cuomo administration at this development agency, her boss once told her the governor had a crush on me. Uh, his senior staff began keeping tabs on my whereabouts. She published an email from 2016 in which a top aide to Cuomo asked Ms. Boylan's boss if she was going to be attending an event. She says that she saw uh, Andrew Cuomo, I believe, at this event, and he showed her a cigar box that he received from President Clinton when he worked as Clinton's HUD secretary. Uh, Here's uh, Boylan's prose. The two-decade-old reference to President Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky was not lost on me, she said. Then she describes the, uh, the strip poker reference on the plane. She says they was sitting across from one another on a plane with a press aide and a state trooper. Uh, the Cuomo office comes back and says, well, they were never alone. There were other people on the plane. Well, that, that's not actually denying this. But again, the governor says these things are false. The governor was asked at a news conference after those tweets late last year. And this is what Andrew Cuomo said. Look, I fought for and I believe a woman has a right to come forward and express her opinion, and express issues and concerns that she has. But it's just not true. On Wednesday, the New York Times spoke to three people who worked in the governor's office during Boylan's time there. These people, speaking on condition of anonymity, said that while they could not corroborate her allegations, they concurred that the governor would sometimes make inappropriate remarks during work and comment on people's appearances. So, you do have a situation where... Other people saying, yeah, it was not, it was an inappropriate work environment. And obviously, the tone is set at the top. A Democratic state senator, Andrea Stewart Cousins, said clearly, there is no uh, place for this type of behavior in the workplace or anywhere else. Finally, uh, Boylan says that after that kiss incident, I was reprimanded and told to get in line by his top aides. I can no longer ignore it. And she says then, that she quit. She wasn't fired. She doesn't say that he retaliated against her. She doesn't say that, uh, she does say that it became more and more difficult for her to work there, and she resigned in 2018. Finally, Boylan says, telling my truth isn't about seeking revenge. I was proud to work in the Cuomo administration. For so long, I had looked up to the governor, but his abusive behavior needs to stop. Now we get into the media coverage, okay? I just read to you a lot of the New York Times story. Very complete story based on what the Times was able to find out. But if you look at the Times homepage today, it's way, way down with a single line headline and kind of like the in other news group of headlines. Uh, I think this might have been I mean, it's the home state governor. I think it's might have been played up more if it had been, I don't know, I mean, look at all the attention that Donald Trump got when women said, and there were a lot of them during the campaign and afterwards, some said sexual assault, he denied it. Some said sexual harassment, he denied it. Some said he just hit on them, he denied it. Okay, um, the Today Show this morning devoted four sentences to this story. Now, would that have happened if it was not the nation's leading Democratic governor? CBS this morning, to its credit, interviewed um, a Democratic state senator who was once a Cuomo aide. And this woman, uh, whose name is Biagi, she's the granddaughter of an all-time New York politician, named Mario Biaggi. She couldn't corroborate what Boylan said, but she did say uh, that there was uh, a lot of inappropriate things were said and the work environment was not good. So CBS did its job. NBC, Today Show at least, kind of blew it off. New York Post, longtime critic of Andrew Cuomo, has a front page uh, headline saying, what a pig. And in an editorial, I guess it's a front page editorial, uh, Governor Cuomo has long portrayed himself as a model of propriety. But now a starkly different picture of him is emerging, that of a bully, a liar, and it appears a sexual harasser. Um, This says that Cuomo, back when Brett Kavanaugh was being accused of, you know, 40 years earlier uh, sexual harassment by Christine Blasey Ford, that Cuomo said Kavanaugh should take a lie detector test. All right, Governor, take a lie detector test, says the New York Post, all the more reason to impeach. So this is my problem with all these things. I don't know what happened with Cuomo. I actually don't know definitively what happened with Kavanaugh, but I do know that Christine Blasey Ford had had no corroborating evidence, no corroborating witnesses, and Lindsey Boylan has more than that. But it always seems to be the case that liberals in the media and politics jump on the story and jump up and down and their hair is on fire when it's a Republican or conservative that's being accused, and you see the script flip when it's the other way around, when it's a Democrat uh, being accused or a liberal, then liberals in the media and politics uh, play it down. Some ignore it. Some kind of hold their nose and report it. And the conservatives and the Republicans go crazy. This is why people think there's so much hypocrisy in politics. Having said all that, Uh, This is not going to just blow over. Andrew Cuomo is going to have to speak about this in more detail. But I think in order to press her case, now that she's decided to go public, to her credit, Lindsay Boylan, on the record, writes this long piece. But since there's no lawsuit, there's no investigation at the time, the best way that she could press her case and make the American public believe her, at least New Yorkers, is that she ought to sit down with some journalists. And she ought to take questions. And then we'll have a better picture of what's going on. Thank you all for listening, folks. Stay safe out there. I'll just remind you that you can subscribe on Apple iTunes or on your Amazon device, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, you name it. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzFeeds.